This week on the podcast, the Chinese have a lot of hells, Jack. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Welcome once again to the Pork Chop Express. You listen to your old pal Brian Kruger with his friends Chris and Eric on a dark and stormy night. When some wild-eyed eight-foot-tall maniac grabs your neck, tops your favorite head up against the bathroom wall, and looks you crooked in the eye, and asks you if you've ever watched John Carpenter's 1986 classic Big Trouble in Little China, you just remember what old Brian Kruger says at a time like that. Have you watched the movie? Yes, sir, I watched the movie, subscribed to the podcast, rated it on Apple, emailed magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com, and the check is in the mail. Welcome back, y'all. I'm Eric. Hi, Eric. I'm Brian. Hey, Brian and Eric. I'm Chris. That's the name. Don't wear it out. Chris, yeah. Chris, 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 Chris. Oh. No, no, you weren't listening to me. I said, don't wear it out. Oh, Good Lord. Okay. You never Silly listen. Me. No, Silly that's me. Eric that never listens. What? Hello? Can you hear me? I'm sorry. I, I don't listen. <laughs> um, yeah. Who so said that? how's it going? Good Lord. It's been, uh, it feels like ages since last we met. It's been a while. Yeah. It's been a while. I- it's been a while. Brian's favorite (laughs) oh yeah last night uh, I got in from uh, Pittsburgh where we're going to be moving soon oh trip out to Pittsburgh to to inspect the neighborhoods and it's it's fun it's just like uh, uh, Portland only cheaper and fewer homeless so and it's in Pennsylvania so well that part too yeah. Yeah. Though I would given how in Oregon every town is named after some town in the East Coast, there's probably a Pittsburgh out here. Probably. I mean, it's the pits. So when you were uh, uh, flying out there, were you perhaps reading The Mysteries of Pittsburgh by Michael Chabon? Since no, he's from that's Pittsburgh? a good idea. I ought to yeah. Do that. yeah. Yeah, you should. I don't really know of any other uh, shit uh, from Pittsburgh. Um, it's. Yeah, uh, 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 you know, uh, 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 Warhol is from Pittsburgh. Is he? Um, yeah. Weird. And uh, okay. Michael Keaton is from Pittsburgh. Oh, um, so you got that going for you, which is nice. White. Yeah, yeah. There's a few Pittsburghers. But I the, mean, the funny thing is, none of them actually live in Pittsburgh anymore. I don't know. No, oh, no. I think Goldblum uh, has some ties to Pittsburgh as well. I could be yeah. wrong. I don't remember. Anyway, I'm glad you had a nice trip. Uh, yeah. Did you did you count more than three rivers, or is it really just three rivers? It's it's yeah. funny. It's two rivers that sort of come together. So it's not fair to say it's three rivers. You know. Well, I mean, when they come together, is it a, a separate river at that point? I right. Yeah, they call it a they they give it a new name once they come together. Yeah. I'm like, that's a that's kind of cheating. That's kind of cheating. Let's let's uh let's explain that for brian since he lives in arizona a yeah river what's a is river like a body of a river is like a body of water uh that just flows yeah. you know, no 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 uh, we have a river but that's just dirt 
There's just dirt it's, and there's a bridge it's not over even, it. Yeah, yeah, it's not even salt anymore. It's just dirt. <laughs> it used to be the salt river. Now it's just dirt. <laughs> uh, oh, the glories of climate change. They have Indeed. apparently a big heavy metal scene out there. They're very into metal. And there's a cover band out there, a Pink Floyd cover band called Black Floyd. I've got to check them out. That's not metal, though. Come on, man. You say metal, I think like ACDC or Iron Maiden or something. But I, I'm saying metal covers of Pink Floyd. Oh, I got kind you. of like kind of like uh, um, the, that 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 Elvis impersonator that did uh, reggae covers of Led Zeppelin. Right now, now I'm now I'm thinking in terms of like you know somebody doing the Cookie Monster voice on us, and then just us. Well, <laughs> have you guys ever heard of the band Oakley Dokley? No, uh, they're. I think they're from Phoenix, Brian. You might find them uh, playing here and there, but basically, it's a, a heavy metal band that uh, does uh, like a Ned Flanders uh, look. They they dread the mustaches, the sweaters, and shit. But they do like the Cookie Monster metal, uh, like just hardcore stuff. But they do stuff like White Wine Spritzers is one of their songs, <laughs> etc. I mean, it's just ridiculous. So yeah, if you're into that sort of thing, there you have it. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh well, God. Uh, will we bantered enough? It. Shall we get on to it? What's fresh shit? This shit is fresh. I've had enough of your banter. Yeah, let's do this. The fresh shit where we talk about things we've been watching and doing and and reading and whatever. Yeah. It's got some. I mean. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be tons since we've been off for a few weeks. So, yeah. Yeah. Hit I'll me. just go with the the, the favorite. Uh, I, I went to a live show and I saw the Pixies. Oh, that's not really the Pixies, though. You yeah, saw right. like the Pixies minus uh, Kim Deal. Is what exactly. You saw. Exactly. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm going. And they were opening. They were opening for Modest Mouse, a band I don't oh. care for at all. I must wait, say. wait. Modest Mouse was the headliner. Yep. And Pixies, oh, that's that's my, a sad. My understanding sad is, is that as they tour, they sort of take turns being the lead. Okay. Um, and since since they were in Portland, kind of a home field for them. Since I think Modest Mouse is a Seattle band, but yeah, yeah. Watching it, I'm like, okay, couple problems. One, uh, they they have now I think two or three new albums post. Uh, Trompelamond that are not very good. I'm sorry, they're just they're they're just not the pictures anymore. Yeah, once once they broke up that first time, that was pretty much it for me. Yeah, I mean, it's just need, you're never gonna you're never gonna do that again. Yeah, you listen to those old albums and you realize how much they need Kim. You know, Kim Deal oh, is yeah. integral, and without her, it just it's just a bass player. Um, yeah, but like live, I didn't have even worse. <laughs> Really? Is it like yeah. uh, watching the the Journey live act with the Filipino guy singing? No, the, for... the Journey live act is perfectly <laughs> fine. This sounds worse. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just can't. I mean, if I didn't have as much an appreciation for Kim Deal until I started getting into the Breeders post Pixies, yeah. and then it's like, holy crap! It's like I I'm in love with Kim Deal at yeah. this stage. Well, and I've I just gone back. Have never to... stopped listening to their albums and the ones where you know you hear you know very intricate bass lines like like there's there's thought behind it it's not just somebody 
creating rhythm. It's very right. It's just neat shit. And yeah, yeah. Plus, some of my favorite Pixie songs are the ones where she's singing. But she's a an outstanding bass composer. Let's put it that way. I don't know that she's the best bass player ever, but she's a great composer. And yeah, yeah well, without her, it's it's like I love Joey Santiago's guitar, but it sounds even crazier when you don't have her sort of making sense of it. Yeah, definitely. Well, it coincides with the the 30th anniversary of Last Splash by the Breeders, mm. so they're getting a shit ton of press around that lately. But oh, the yeah. fact that yeah, she she brought her sister Kelly Deal in. Uh, who had never really played guitar before who was like a drummer or something and so basically she was learning guitar while <laughs> recording last splash <laughs> and it's just funny to hear anecdotes like that so there you go uh but yeah, but no no on the modest mouse is what you're saying i say no i was i was i was just ugh. i and i they have that one song that i apparently am supposed to know and so i know it because you know like oh, when uh, i turn on uh, it's that song that makes you regret turning on a radio because you're like, oh, this oh, is fucking song. Again. It's the yeah. float on it's song. Float on. Yeah. yeah, that's like their one hit. I don't understand yeah. how Modest Mouse has maintained a career. But and oh, the thing well. is, I everyone's always talking about how much they love Modest Mouse. I'm like, oh, I've got to give this band a shot. And then we go to see him and I'm like, <laughs> OK, I'm waiting for it. And then Tanya tells me, oh, yeah, they, you know, their one song. And then they play it and I go, oh, no. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the, the one song, <laughs> that yeah. one song yeah i thought they were going to be like uh, that 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 cool funky band but no they're just a very 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 average band with a singer who does this a lot yeah. you know it's it's tiny it's, tim yeah. and and a holiday in band is what it is at this at this stage float on is sort of like uh if you're in i don't know macy's or some department store that's like playing in the background in the jeans mm -hmm. department <laughs> because they think yeah. it's cool i mean it's yeah. just it's so asinine yeah uh, but but no stage presence they didn't recapture you you're not, not a big fan now we were so far back i could i couldn't see much but okay yeah i was i was there for the pixies anything else would have been a, a fine extra but right yeah they both just disappointed i'm so sad i'm like i'm glad i saw at least the pixies while they were still like on that that second tour the post mm -hmm. kim deal one when they were still pretty good but now i'm over it i'm just over it it's yeah. sad i think yeah well we've talked about this before i think i saw them when they were touring trompe le monde yeah so we i, I caught them right yeah and i that was right before they broke up and so i feel like at least i saw them with the og mm. lineup but what can you do yeah that's what happens all right okay that's yeah well, yeah, so I've been just, watching the show physical on Apple Plus. Oh, I, how is it? I, I you know what? I, I didn't bother because I was like, uh, I, I think I know what this looks like, but it's good. It's um, yeah, it's a woman who sort of discovers not like discovers for the entire world, discovers for herself aerobics in the 80s, specifically 1982. And mm. um, and it's really about the voice in her head. Uh, that that is constantly you know calling her a bitch and a fatso and you know oh that person doesn't like you like it's this really blisteringly mean voice inside of um uh, what's her name rose, rose burn rose burn's head it is it is really 
really fucking great actually <laughs> because mm. as you're watching it you don't ca- like any of these characters and as it goes on you do start to like these characters but you despise that voice that keeps coming up in her head uh, it, it's very weird mm. um, <laughs> yeah it's worth watching if only for how well they get the 80s they there's some shows that you know they they do period just for the sake of period in this one, you can see some of the stuff they really thought about all the music like, uh, is correct. Like glow. They, they got most of the eighties, right? Is it sort yeah. of in that room? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's how they're marketing it for sure. It's like a full on nostalgia marketing campaign. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, no, that's been, that's been on my list of things to get around to watching. So should I get around to it? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Wait. Uh, fun. Awesome. Yeah. So that's my thing. All right. (laughs) Um, Uh, I'll get just blistering it, Eric. You're just blistering with entertainment today. How's that? I know. I I I did a show. (laughs) Yeah. You you did a live show and you watched some TV in like the last four weeks. It's amazing. What's wrong with that? What am I supposed to do? Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. I climbed a mountain. Okay. I also climbed a mountain. I got to, I got to recommend mountaining. You're going to, you're going to throw that kind of shade. You go next, Chris. Impress us (laughs) with your amazitude or whatever. Uh, I finally got around to watching Radiant is the Blood of the Baboon Heart, which is the grand finale of the Venture Brothers. And I, I, we've discussed this previously. You guys don't really watch it much. Or at least I think Brian, you you don't really ever I, watch it. Yeah, I've never. I haven't watched, watched it in it. a while. Uh, it's like seven seven seasons over twenty years on Adult Swim from the Cartoon and that's Network. That's why. <laughs> uh, which which almost increases its cult status, but they got just basically axed after the season seven cliffhanger stuff, and. Uh, they, I guess they finagled a way to get like Cartoon Network let them do a, a movie to tie it all up <laughs> uh, which they did for the most part and it was a very fun finale let's put it that way and uh, it's it's quite amusing uh, I'm not sure if I should drop spoilers but I will if you okay, don't I'll care put the don't... spoiler bump here oh no we're not spoiling. Yeah, it. No. I think I want to check it out. I need. Okay. I, I've okay. been wanting to get back to Venture Brothers. So yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's. I mean in the past, Brian has talked about how Danger Five is like the one show made for me uh, out of all of the shows. <laughs> uh, but I would say Venture Brothers from the moment I saw it twenty years ago. What, it was what you're just telling one of my me favorites. is that you watched a shit ton of Johnny Quest back in the day. Well, that's just the thing is you watch it and it. it the first season is pretty much just yeah it's them just goofing on johnny quest and the hanna-barbera stuff yeah uh but over the course of the seven seasons it becomes the most densely layered pop culture geek reference utopia i have ever seen (laughs) on any sort of entertainment these guys that do it it's doc hammer and jackson public uh know their tv their movies, their music. I mean, it's just okay. all of it. And so it's just you and they don't throw it in your face. They just drop off a reference and it's basically there. If you're adept at picking it up, like if you know that reference and you're like, oh, shit, I can't believe they just did that reference. But if you don't know it, you're kind of like, well, OK, and it just rolls on to the next. Uh, and they 
they managed to pepper those in for the entire duration uh, of the series. And like, it's just, it, it's so much fun. It's like mana for Gen X because we love our sub-references. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and the, yeah. And the first had, season, it's pretty yeah. much just, just, you know, they're all about the Johnny Quest thing, but they definitely grew out of it pretty quick when they started expanding their own uh, universe and bringing in all these various characters and then started connecting the plot lines. And it just became this absurdly funny, ridiculous, over the top uh, program. But it also, for a cartoon show, I mean, it had, it just has a ton of heart because through the course of it, it's all about how people sort of are, are broken and then they find each other. And it's like either you, your friends are your family or your family's your family. And it's kind of just uh, learning how to cope with everything i mean it's just i can't really explain it would do justice uh because i i'm too close to it and just i love it so much but it's just it's it's funny uh above and beyond that's the first thing but it's also very intricately done and it's some of the smartest writing uh i've ever seen on tv is, is it really only worth watching the the finale if you've watched the show like Am I gonna uh, yeah, just not watch, get anything out of it if I watch just if the you, movie? Yeah, if you watch just the movie, you'll be like, I don't know what the fuck is going on because okay. it's because it's 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 all predicated on all of the relationships that have grown over the last uh, seven seasons. Sure, uh, and so it's that lines, series finale vibe. It's like one more, one more yeah, time yeah. with our buddies kind of deal. Yeah. yeah well, okay. I mean, I'm sad that they didn't get a full season renewal because I would have loved to have seen them draw it out a little bit more and have a little bit more wiggle room in the sandbox uh, but for what they got 90 minutes it's it's quite a good send-off uh but just <laughs> some of the revelations like through the course of the show you find out that hank and dean venture are actually clones uh because dr venture is a super scientist etc uh, and then dying. it's some, yeah and they're always dying but then at one point the all of the the clones that they have on deck in the lab end up getting destroyed. So really <laughs> at some point mid series, he's just stuck with his kids now and now they can't just die and get replaced. And so that creates a whole new level. And then they get to actually age at that point uh, and mature. And it's just so funny. Cause then they go through like the, you know, the, the dark teen years and the whole nine yards and trying to find their identity. It's just so stupid. And then you've got the whole Monarch thing. Who's the arch villain from the get-go and then there dr. are certain girlfriend. ties dr girlfriend who's just an insanely hot villainess but she's got the voice of a guy like this that's her <laughs> voice dr girlfriend uh and then all of the the pot shots at like marvel and dc and everything i mean it's just there's so much i highly recommend it brian just start from season one and just watch them here and there and uh, I guarantee you, you'll be entertained from start to finish because <laughs> they really get it. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. What else you got, Chris? Uh, I also, on the alternate side, watched finally watched uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem, and okay. uh, I was I was I was underwhelmed. I don't understand why every single Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie has to be a retread of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles origin story. Is that like There's written into the contract? I don't yeah. even understand why it's a thing. I mean, it's, yeah. it's 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 a merchandising juggernaut, but otherwise, what has ever been entertaining about that? 
I mean, I enjoy the comic books. I think Eastman and Laird do enough goofy shit. Really? But literally every movie is just, oh, who are these big giant turtles in the sewers? Oh, they got uh, ooze all over them from some lab and then shredders their nemesis, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's just, do you, do you have to do it every single time you uh, you revisit? This is like, like a Spider-Man movie, basically. That's like, oh, we're going to show Uncle Ben dying again. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's yeah. just oh, every Batman on, movie has those pearls falling yeah. on the ground. Yeah. As his exactly. So Martha. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. why did you say Martha? <laughs> so I was I was underwhelmed. I think I, if I recall, you liked it, Brian. I did. I think like it's enthusiastically the best, the best version of that that they've made to date. Um, and I think that the the art style is on point and the culture references are good and the energy is good. I mean, yeah, it's again, it's a franchise that really sort of got in, you know, got popular after we had outgrown the target demographic. <laughs> and so right. it's never been our jam, but I can totally see how this revitalizes Ninja Turtles for a new generation of kids. Uh, I think, I think it was good. I enjoyed it. I mean, it was fun. I will say this. The soundtrack was one of the best I've heard right. in, ever. I mean, it yeah. was just kneel drop after kneel drop. That was just fucking awesome. And I will give five stars to any movie uh, that is going to do those sort of classic hip hop drops, but not do it in a way that's grating. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Tribe by, by Tribe Guy, when Tribe by Quest shows up, mm -hmm. uh, it's just like, yes. Tribe Called this Quest? This is Tribe Called Quest. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's just no, they no, show they're, up. they're shitty knockoff tribe by quest, yeah. <laughs> tribe by quest, it's like yeah. That's robots of tribe called quest, and yeah, yeah. It's like no. when you're at the flea market and you buy a, a boach bag, yeah, it's, you know, it's that kind of thing. <laughs> the new set, uh, tribe by quest. <laughs> so it had some good needle drops, and I have I was more in tune with that than the actual movie, so maybe it's uh. Sure not as not as good to bring up but you know you had all all manner of uh of classics i mean you had from like de la soul to wayne newton <laughs> to like tribe called quest four non blondes i think there was uh oh yeah well, well, they old actually dirty did the he-man meme version of the four non blondes so song right yeah 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 <laughs> So it was goofy. And then when old dirty bastard shows up doing shimmy shimmy ya, I was like, okay, I'm in. This is definitely a Seth Rogen jam, but uh, there you have it. <laughs> so I don't know. If you're 15, you'd probably love it. If you're 52, it's eh. Fair so, enough. The one of those things they made for the parents and the kids, which means really for the parents. Yeah, basically. Kinda. kinda. I exactly. think it was made for yeah, the yeah. filmmakers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> primarily yeah, yeah. like this is clearly like people who were into ninja turtles getting to make a ninja turtles movie yeah and i mean okay. i give them i give them props that they didn't use shredder as the baddie in this one yeah so they kept the powder a, dry there that's a first so <laughs> there you have that it. means they're planning sequels oh shredder shows yeah. up in the oh, post credit totally. scene but yeah yeah um, yeah yeah totally anyway. 
So there you go. So yeah, that's oh. really been occupying right. my time. So you had three weeks, and all you did was watch Ninja Turtles <laughs> you were and the blistering entertainment. Movie. At least I left the house, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I leave the house to go, you know, uh, to the store and stuff. I mean, I shit. saw live music entertainment. Yeah, yeah I'm I'm so Chris. over live music at this point. I don't really care. Yeah, me too. Actually, I, I'm. <laughs> I, I, I kind of yeah. wish I could get out of it now, but yeah, like Eric, Eric is my barometer. It's like if he goes to the shows and he basically hates the entire time, uh, that would be me. <laughs> Whereas Brian's like, yeah, it was great. I love it. Got out of the house. I'm like, that is so yeah. not where I'm at. Oh, that's yeah, very right much now. where I'm at. Except for the last yeah. three weeks where I'll, I'll tell you what I did the last three weeks. It wasn't much. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got so, okay. Let me just put it this way, okay? Uh, what if I told you, hey, I saw this concert film. It was all shot with a single camera all the way in the back. That's going to see a live show. Yeah, a live yes. show lives or dies on the crowd. If the crowd energy is there, it's a good show. If the crowd energy is not there, it it really isn't. You know. Yeah. It, it's oh, speaking of, of which, did did you guys see the clips from uh, U2's new residency in Las Vegas at that Sphere place? Like, did yeah. you see any of the stuff inside where it's just no. all that, like, everything is uh, just yeah. LED? Uh, look it up on on. Uh, I just YouTube. saw the it's Sphere fucking, itself. Yeah. So, like, it, like sure. inside, it's like the stage, but it's literally the entire inside is just one giant LED display that they can play with. It's just insanity. So, well, we love it because we, we exist off of our gimmicks now. We don't actually make any good music. So <laughs> this was a good gimmick. We thought we'd go with yeah. the gimmick. So yeah. I'm going to go see Depeche Mode in Vegas at the beginning of December. And we were uh, looking for what else can we do while we're in Vegas. And I I had a, you know, I, I looked up the tickets for U2 with the Sphere. And like the cheapest right. tickets for that are like $350 a seat. Yeah, and I'm like, they need yeah, the money, we're not man. doing that. No, fuck yeah, that. They, like, they need the wow. money. <laughs> yeah, you yeah I think Vegas, Vegas residency is the thing you do before you retire. It feels like it's like all these. I acts mean, do it and then they're done. The fifty twos yeah. are doing that. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're well, basically I mean, they're they're basically they're trying to open the sphere and and try to get any of the money they spent building that thing back. <laughs> but, yeah. But it's just funny because my wife saw the clips from that and she's like, how old is Bono? Good God, because he looks like a fossil. <laughs> it's just crazy. And I'm and he's only like 62 or something. I mean, it's not like he's decrepit, but damn. Well, the road it is hard just... on a body, right? Anyway. <laughs> well, plus, yeah, plus he's Irish. And he makes any still difference. hasn't found what he's looking for. <laughs> God damn well, it. It was here wait. before. I had it just a minute ago. And yeah, now I okay. just can't goddamn find it. Someone should just shoot me point blank in the stamper. Yeah. <laughs> right in the stamper. God, the fucking best U2 song Thank ever you. is one they didn't do. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Negative Land. All uh, right. So um, I've been watching uh, season four of the Harley Quinn show is, is on Max. Oh, yay. I just started it. I'm like one or two episodes in, so. Okay, so um, did you see the Halloween or sorry, the Valentine's Day special that they did? Like, yeah, that was the seasons? one. Uh, yeah, they they tagged that on at the end of season three. Yeah, in February. So yeah, yeah. So um, they've they've been trying to actually keep the the characters evolving. So in season four, what well, the end of season three really, but uh, season four is all about how Ivy is now the CEO of the Legion of Doom and she's dealing with like the misogyny of the patriarchy of the Legion of Doom 
and Harley has joined the Bat family and is trying to uh, to see if she can be a good guy. And also, they're trying to maintain a relationship under these circumstances. And oh, neat. Uh, um, it, I think it's actually better than season three was. Um, yeah, season three kind of was all over the place, honestly. Yeah, but there are moments when Harley gets to full on Harley out. And when she does, you're like, oh, shit, this is the energy that's still missing from the show. They can do it. But it's it's reserved because of the characters in the plot at this point. Um, yeah. And like Batman is MIA because he's basically resurrected his dead parents who are now zombies. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like ridiculous <laughs> shit. I mean, it's yeah. Well, there was a whole uh, yeah, there was a whole episode in season three where they uh, they did the pearls thing over and over. Right. Like Batman yeah, yeah, begins yeah. again or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or Batman begins forever, I think is what it was called. But anyway, um, <laughs> they got caught in a time loop. Um, yeah. No, it's it's a good uh, good new season of Harley Quinn. Glad they're still making those. Um, you've got HBO Max. It's definitely, you know, give it a spin. The and, last yeah. one I saw was when uh, uh, she and Ivy hooked up. What is that? Is that the end of two? Probably around the end of two. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then the third season is about them sort of getting used to their romance, but then it, they kind of diverge a little bit because they can't figure out they, what they're doing. They kind of you know, expand kind of the thing. canvas. Like there's this whole subplot of the Joker is running for mayor. <laughs> um <laughs> And and so they're trying to get further out into the DC universe in season three. But but yeah, basically, Harley is holding Ivy's evilness back. You know, this relationship is kind of in her way. And that's the yeah, the main the a line through season three mm. and season four is how do we make this work with us doing these very different things? And how does any of this make any sense? Because um, yeah. Batman is now that he's brought back his dead parents, he's in Arkham. Um so he's not a character. He's not really a player. <laughs> so um, there you go. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. I'm glad to see them like taking risks and going places with it and not just uh, not just keeping to the one thing. But the the Valentine's Day special is is worth your time, Eric. Just just to see um, Kaiju sized Bane uh, going <laughs> off and like fucking buildings and shit. Yeah, it's um, so ridiculous. And they and the fact that they still use that. Uh, voice. Oh, is the the dark yeah. I can't believe what I'm doing. <laughs> James Adomi so is, is a yeah. He is a great find for that. I love him in everything. Yeah. So it's yeah. good. it's ba- good. Bane continues to be the funniest character on the show. Anyway, um, and then I guess I'll bring this one. Uh, I did go out to the theater, but just the movie theater. Um, mm-hmm. and I saw. A Haunting in Venice, Kenneth Branagh's uh, new <sighs> Poirot movie. His jam. Yeah, I, his, he's found an IP. They, he's rolling with it. Yeah, pretty I mean, much. The, the other two, I mean, they look great, but I just don't like the liberties that they're taking with, like, adding more social consciousness into the scripts. I mean, it just it, it's jarring to me when they, like, add all of that subtext. It's just sort of like, yeah, get on with it. Did you have a problem with the, the explanation of his big bushy mustache? In, uh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't need to see the origin story of Poirot's mustache. Let me just yeah. say that it just was pointless. That was odd. <laughs> so you know, 
but I, you know, as as actors who portrayed Poirot on the screen, uh, he would be one of know, them. Brana would be he would yeah definitely one of them. <laughs> but I would put him maybe you know uh, top three ish. So uh, hunting in Venice is is interesting in that um, he's run out of of celebrities <laughs> to guest star in these movies. <laughs> um, so well, the didn't he, like is, the last. Like definitely, he hired that cannibal guy. Uh, what's his face? Yeah, Army, Army Hammer. Hammer Army Hammer. It. Yeah, yeah. And that sort of scuttled all of the marketing. So yeah. <laughs> so here's the interesting. Um, here he makes. First of all, the cinematographer for this movie is the real uh, is the real MVP for Hunting and Venice. Because the cinematography and the way it's lit is all just really good, and they're they're definitely going with all of the horror movie tropes in terms of uh you know how to frame stuff um and one of the one of the great choices they made um so tina fey is as close as we get to like a celebrity co-star this time around and she's actually got a pretty significant role um and and she's one of the first actors we see and what's interesting is uh there was an interview or something about the making of um the unbreakable kimmy schmidt uh, where I guess Tina Fey was like abducted from her front yard and she has a scar on the left side of her face yeah. from from that experience. And she's always been shot. You, you'll never see shots of Tina Fey's left side of her face. She's always being shot from the other side. And in this movie, nope, they're right on the left side of they, they sh- shoot her bad side like from the outset. And it's it's used to effect, right? It's like something is off putting and, and upsetting about this image. And it's, it's the scar on Tina Fey's face. Um, uh, it, kind of like when they explained the scar on Harrison Ford's lip with the yeah. thing. Well, yeah, they don't explain no. her scar in this movie at all. It's just that oh, you, they just show it the viewer. Oh, oh, a lot. Like most of the shots of her character in this movie are her bad side. And and that's just it. They do that and she let them do that, mm. you know, and, and it, it does add to the to the vibe, right? Um it's it's an interesting story in that it brushes up against whether or not the supernatural is a thing in the Perona Poironiverse or whatever we're in. Um <laughs> Poironiverse. Yeah. Um it's it's really an origin story for the villain <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, without saying any more than that. It's it, it's it's another, you know, movie that's like, yeah, it came out in September for a reason, right? It's 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 a movie you can watch and it's it's fine. It doesn't blow you away. It doesn't suck. It's just kind of a movie, you know, <laughs> right? Yet I another mean, mediocre movie. <laughs> for the yeah, parents. It's, it's for just, the parents. It's for like my mom. Yeah, it's for the old folk. I mean, if if you like Poirot, I would just recommend uh doing the TV show from the BBC with David Suchet that was on, that was on for like twenty five years. I mean, they sure. literally adapted every single Agatha Christie short story, novel, whatever, uh across that. And, yeah, I and wonder- he's actually very good at it he'll i wonder if he'll like break out you know in into doing uh like uh, emily watson as uh mrs marple that could work 
I mean, <laughs> he's doing it so he can make movies about himself, right? So, I mean... Oh, I figured it was so that he could keep directing. You know, like, he has his own IP <laughs> that he can do whatever he wants with. He's been he looking did, for I mean, one forever. He said, fuck, this is a great idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Thor thing kind of just uh, shriveled up pretty quick, I think. No. And so he, he, he didn't get to ride for... that. Oh, yeah. They didn't hire him back, but he got to set yeah. the tone for, like, all the Thor movies, which mm. is... Yeah pretty cool i mean you know it is what it is i mean i i can take or leave rana as a director if i'm being I'm totally fan. honest with you i mean it's I, uh, I don't i don't like it when he has a hand in story he's not he's not yeah. great at writing but i i think he's, yeah. he's a really interesting director to watch well i, think, I mean it just depends on the one, material this one's worth yeah. streaming i don't think it's worth going to the theater that's basically what i'm going to say stream it when it comes out on streaming yeah I mean, I will because I I am not as familiar with this particular property, uh, so it would be totally fresh. Like like the other two he did, he did Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile, mm -hmm. which have already been done as films, uh, and I've seen them a billion times. I've read the books, so it was sort of I, maybe oh, that's why so I'm not as yeah. As, so there's no as, twist, there's no surprise. You're you yeah, just do it. Yeah. <laughs> That'll yeah. do it. And well, that and the fact that he, they just added a whole bunch of uh, social justice context to the, some of the stuff that just sort of it just dragged for me. This so one, maybe if I watch yeah, Hunting in Venice, I'll be is, like, hey, this one is leaner. They don't they don't like give us a bunch of Poirot backstory They're You know, they're pretty focused on right. on the just what the fuck is going on here um, yeah. in this one. I mean, have you seen other Poirot? movies brian i mean not in in the sense that i was paying attention to whether they were poirot i'm sure i've seen them but i didn't really know who the character was until these movies came out I, if you want to watch the most bizarre interpretation watch uh murder on the orient express with albert finney as poirot and it's directed by sydney sydney lumet and it's got like sean connery and just a whole hmm. list of super 70 stars but finney's portrayal of Poirot is like the most ridiculously off-putting and uncomfortable I've ever seen it's just I don't understand why they would hire him to do it because he just did not ca capture that's and it's the just, one with Lauren Bacall yeah. right uh I think so because I think yes. I've seen it yeah 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 she's the uh who uh Michelle Pfeiffer played in the most recent version the the woman yeah who, I, who yeah, basically I remember put it all together yeah seeing that as a kid and that's what made me go oh i hate agatha christie already <laughs> <laughs> yeah right <laughs> but then if you watch like peter ustinov doing it uh because he did a couple he did death on the nile and uh evil under the sun and he's one of my favorites because he just ustinov always has a twinkle in his eye no matter what he's playing and so it's just <laughs> fun to watch him have fun with it you know so Braun is sort of like in the middle. He's a little yeah. too serious for my taste, but oh well. All right. So yeah, that's the fresh shit for this week. Let's get on with it. I love this movie. I really love this movie. It has always worked for me since I first saw it, and I've never outgrown it. Big right? trouble in Little China. Did you a movie that knows exactly what it is? That's probably the best way to put it. <laughs> so did did you see it back in 1986? Oh when yeah, it first came out. Oh yeah, like saw in the, the theaters. Theater. I remember. Yeah, yeah. I remember the like 
1986 was a particularly shit year for summer movies. Like the big first movie that came out that year was Space Camp. And so like when the ads hit the newspaper, it's like, you know, Jack Burton's in for big trouble and you're in for big fun was like the tagline. And I, I don't know that just. Okay, finally, you know, it was like that and Little Shop were the only two movies that summer to go see. Um, so yeah, I totally I saw mean, Big Trouble in Little China. So you weren't all about Top Gun or Karate Kid well, that or was Star Trek the Four, The Voyage Home, yeah, or that Ferris Bueller or Aliens or Ruthless People. Well, okay, eventually <laughs> it got better, but um, but this was uh, like one of the early ones. Early in the summer, there wasn't shit. There was Space Camp. You know, <laughs> I mean, I always, yeah, I always feel bad for for Big Trouble in Little China because it's taken almost forty years for people to finally get it. But at the time, it just like came and went, and everybody just sort of scratched their heads and went, oh, "What yeah. the fuck am I looking at?" And so it just sort of uh, found new life, as most of these '80s movies did on video. And that's when it really, you know, kind of kicked out. And then everybody was like, oh, this, yes, this right here. But it yeah. opened in early July of 86, which is like right in the middle of summer. But it was coming on the heels of uh, like the juggernaut that is Top Gun, if I recall. Was Top Gun like, that was still For going. For some reason in my head, it was 85, but maybe it was yeah, 86. Yeah, Top, yeah, Top Gun came out okay. uh, middle of May 86. So that was like the, the leadoff for the summer. No wonder I was so uh, desperate for any other movies. Okay, yeah, got it. And then, and then Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and then Back to School, uh, Manhattan Project, uh, Karate Kid Two, all sort of led up. And then Labyrinth came out, and then Ruthless People, end of June, and the Big Trouble in Little China opened up uh, between Ruthless People and uh, oh, oh, Aliens came out a couple weeks later. So it just literally just came and went with mm. a whimper and well, everybody was like i don't know anybody, what this is yeah anybody want to do the plot description yeah please well here there's the caveat though i i want to hear if you can do the elevator pitch for this in like two lines because it defies any sort of normal description this movie jack burton uses his action skills to prevent a chinese god from uh taking physical form and <laughs> okay Sure, I'm hooked. He, I'll watch he that. He teams up with with his his pals in uh, Chinatown to save a green eyed princess and also uh, the hoary lady from Sex and the City. Kim Cattrall, her name is. Yeah. Yes, thank yeah. you. Yeah, who was who was coming off of uh, a good run Porky's. in Porky's and Police Academy? <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's yeah. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it, it, it's like it's actually very high concept, but that's kind of the joke. It's so high yeah. concept, and yet. The, you know, it, it's treated as as stupid as you think that sounds. They think so, too. That's what I so, love about this movie. Here's, yeah, yeah, here's yeah. why I think it didn't connect with people. Right. And it's it is the real high concept it made of the fun movie. Of shit they like. <laughs> well, yeah. So yeah, yeah. so Kurt Russell is is Jack Burton. And and the real gag here is that Jack Burton thinks he's the hero of the movie and he's not. And, yeah, and it's yeah. his it's his buddy Wang who's the actual hero of the movie, but at no point did the marketing let the audience in on the joke, right? Like the uh, the marketing was straight up. Here's this movie where Kurt Russell is the hero of of this big adventure, and then 
he sucks. Like he's this he's yeah, this yeah. like egomaniacal dickhead who keeps fucking up and like not doing anything useful. And but and, has all of the great lines. I love yeah. <laughs> I love his writing in this. Are you crazy? Is that your problem? I mean shit like that. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Or it's like oh. uh I was a or uh or check into a psych ward, whichever comes first, right? You know, it's like paper, kind of shit. paper, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, or, you know, when eggs in the, the sewers, he's like, it will come out no more. What? What? Well, we'll come out no more. <laughs> it's just and so they don't tell you. That's the other yeah. thing this movie does that I, I got to give it a lot of credit for. They they put it. This is John Carpenter making this movie, and it's kind of a I don't know. It's got some Indiana Jonesy vibes as they sort of delve into the depths of the Chinese gods' lair. Right. But yeah. um, but there are points in this movie where they spent a whole bunch of money on a creature effect or a something that's in like for ten seconds, and then it never shows up again, and that's it. You know, and it's just yeah. like, <laughs> oh, okay. Thanks, I mean, John Carpenter. You know, they're just throwing stuff at the wall here. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at uh, his filmography, I mean, this Big Trouble in China is always pinpointed as the one where he basically just decided, fuck studios. I'm never working with the studio ever again because they just wouldn't leave him alone. They kept mm -hmm. giving him notes. They didn't understand it. They fucked up the marketing. It turned out to be a big dud in the box office. And then he ended up doing, you know, Prince of Darkness and They Live, etc. So he he kind of went back into the indie thing. But this one just I'm always saddened that this wasn't a bigger hit because it is so much better than Starman or Christine, which are the two that he made mm -hmm. prior, which were big studio movies. But those are easy to market. Those are easy to give you the taglines and just follow the story. This one, it's just so all over the map. And I think that's what makes me appreciate it so much because it's just literally anarchy in a bottle yeah. on screen <laughs> the whole time. The, the reason for me to suggest this to anyone is it's a style of comedy you just do not see much of, which is that. It's Marx Brothers craziness. And yeah, somehow, yeah, it, it, comedies are all, I don't know, witty dialogue or pratfalls, but they're not just just bonkers behavior this it's a mad yeah. mad 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 world repo man just just funny because they're from outer space and yeah it's yeah. tough to find people who can get into that yeah well i like the fact that the original script uh that the two writers did it was actually set in the old west and jack burton was a cowboy who loses his horse and it's it's sort of the same basic story but they're like oh we can't do it as a western uh, so they decided to update it. So they bring in W.D. Richter, who did Buckaroo Banzai. He mm -hmm. wrote the remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, etc. And so he sort of updates it and modernizes it. Uh, and then that's when they needed to get uh, a director on. So then they got Carpenter on board finally. But this, I forgot, is they rushed Big Trouble in Little China into production because they needed to get it released before Eddie Murphy, the golden child, which is sort of <laughs> similar, but not, but there was, it's, it's got enough elements that would be like, oh, it's the same movie. And so from the get go, Big Trouble in China is just screwed because the studio is just trying to crank it out as product. And John Carpenter's probably off to the side going, what the, whoa, hold on now. Just wait a minute. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it just, so everything can, about it is just off. They can beat the commercial juggernaut that would become the golden child. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is yeah, which is just insane. So uh the WD Richter angle is interesting to me because it there and this has to be him contributing this stuff. There are a number of jokes that are like buried, like the actors do not lampshade them at all. You know, like there's a whole running gag, right, where it's like the Chinese have many hells, but like there's a line that that just kind of comes and goes that you know, uh Wang is reading his sign and Burton's like, what does it say? He says, that's the hell where people get skinned alive. No, I'm just kidding. It says keep out, you know, and yeah. <laughs> and like it's not it's not delivered with a, you know, and now get it, get the joke. You know, there's it's just very low key the way just, people make jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, well, it, this, but but that's rewarding because maybe those jokes will like whiz past you on a first viewing and you'll pick yeah. them up on a subsequent viewing. Well, I mean, uh, I apparently he rewrote the entire script. So, yeah, I think everything's in there. But due to some WGA shenanigans or whatever, uh, he's credited on the actual movie as doing an adaptation. Uh, so hmm. he wrote the script that you see, but he didn't get full credit for it. So it's a weird, a weird setup on that one. WGA but, uh, rules. Yeah. They don't actually yeah. say who did what. When you for every writer you see on a movie, you can expect there's actually seven. Yeah, uh, but it's just the fact that they they shopped it around. They tried to do this, tried to do that, and Kurt Russell finally, I think, came on board, uh, if I remember correctly. And so he wasn't interested at first because uh, he just didn't know how to approach Jack, and that just says everything to me because of the movie on screen. It's like, yeah, it's. It, you're just a clueless dimwit, but you think you're controlling <laughs> yeah. everything. And it's just like that they didn't do at the time. And it's so funny to see that. And like nowadays, you would probably uh, get that in a Marvel movie or some shit. You know what I mean? But back Most then, the it was sort of like that. Mm -mm. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. But know. he's just, he's just, you know, he's so full of himself and swagger. And there's also, they also just make fun of some of the action movie tropes. Like eventually, he does get a kiss from the Kim Cattrall character who is made up in like this full-on i don't even know what you call it i mean it's yeah. not geisha because it's chinese but it, it's that kind of aesthetic yeah, yeah. you know makeup but they're in a sewer but but then um for the for the next couple of scenes he's got like her lipstick smeared all over his face yeah 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 it's <laughs> just looking well, that's ridiculous a, you know just, that's one of my favorite scenes when they're getting ready to go do the final battle and egg shen's cooking up his concoction <laughs> uh and it's like well, what, what does it do egg It'll make you see things you no one else can see. Do things no one else can do, <laughs> and you could just see the wheels turning in Kurt Russell's head as Jack Burton going. I don't have any idea what this guy's talking about, you know. <laughs> and that's just the underlying thing. And then they start feeling it as they go down in the elevator. Yeah. Huh, feeling pretty it's good. Just so ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> feeling kind of invincible. <laughs> it's just so dumb. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's no, a, it's a. It it's a uh, it's a classic little movie that yeah knows what it is, but I'm not sure the audience ever knew what it was. Yeah. No, I the think yeah, playing its own game. If you're going in cold, good luck to you, because I've seen it a jillion times over the last 36 years or so, and it just every time I watch it, I always catch something new because yeah. there's just so much jam packed into it. It's just funny it's, to me. But, it's uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm just, just okay. It's not a cerebral movie, but it is no. an action movie for people who are tired of 
you know, thoughtless action movies, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, like just like, dumb shit happens. This is not that. It's not like you have, you know, it's not like they're making, you know, Shakespearean references. They're just right. taking, they believe you're smart enough to see what's going on a lot of the time. Yeah. Well, I, I think to me that the, the entire uh, tone of the movie is literally like the scene from They Live when Roddy Piper goes into the bank and just has this line, I'm here to chew bubblegum and kick ass and I'm all out of bubblegum. Mm-hmm. And then he starts blowing all the aliens away. It's that goofy vibe, but spread over 90 minutes because it's just from the get go. And I, the only thing I hate is that the studio made Carpenter put on that stupid opening scene where eggs got to tell people that Jack Burton is not to blame, blah, blah, blah. And then they go into the pork chop express to do the actual intro and so it's just sort of like blade runner when they said well no one's gonna know what's going on we need you to do a voiceover and it's yeah. just like it's so not necessary but well, you know I, they, quibble, um, I quibble the the other thing is the three storms you've got uh thunder lightning and i'm not sure what the third one is called right Right. Was for the for the longest um, time, I always just called them Earth, Wind, and Fire. Sure, <laughs> but they're these. You know, this is where the movie really sort of reveals itself is when these guys make their entrance. There's like this, they call it the Chinese standoff in in the alleyway between these Chinese gangs, and then the storms show up, and they've got, you know, they're looking. You know, basically, the character Raiden from Mortal Kombat is obviously ripped off of one of the, or all of these guys. Yeah, right, right. Because um, they've got all this like ridiculous uh, straw hat. Yeah, like yeah, the big straw hats hat just, and the lightning yeah, yeah. and the and and then they start doing all this supernatural shit and and the movie's like, yeah, yeah, we're we're gonna go there and they have fun with those characters. They they uh, they they give them stuff to do. Um, the effects are actually pretty decent. They hold up okay, even though you know it's from '86. Um, yeah, and and well, it I mean, does it was... give us one of the best lines in the movie with the 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 bad guy david lopan uh at, at, towards the end turns to one of the to one of the storms and says is it too much to ask thunder kill him you know <laughs> yeah i mean i love i love david lopan in this thing because he's just he he vacillates between super menacing villain to just comic relief almost in a heartbeat yeah. and it's <laughs> it's it's a very tightrope uh kind of performance that he's giving and it just makes me love it all the more because it's like at certain times like oh there's no way that he's going to be that fearsome and then you see him actually do some shit you're like oh okay i get it but it's because he's been in limbo for centuries he's probably lost a little bit of his luster so it's just fun to see that kind of stuff at play uh but for me the funniest shit is just the the winks and nods to deconstructing what everybody understands is the action movie at that point and so you get all of these people just doing exposition dumps in their dialogue for no reason whatsoever and it just kills me every time yeah because it's like talking about david lopan and then yeah and then burton's like who and then one of them's like david lopan the blah 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 and it just goes on and on and on yeah yeah it's so funny it just makes me laugh every time because it's just like there's there's a need for the exposition but they don't bother to disguise it in any way whatsoever and it just it makes it all the funnier because it's just so obvious 
Yeah. It's like when he goes into the the whorehouse, he's like, what I'm kind of looking for is a girl with green eyes. You got anything like that? It's like, that's real subtle, man. <laughs> so it's just, he's so incompetent from the get-go. It cracks it's me up. early meta. <laughs> yeah. We know yeah, you're watching a movie. You know you're watching a movie. Yeah. The actor here for Lopan is James Hong, uh, who's been yeah, yeah. in a number of things. Everything. And yeah. yeah, he rules and and he plays Lopan as, you know, sometimes he's like a full on Fu Manchu characters and other times he's like a cross between, I don't know, like Trickster Yoda and um, uh, Gollum or some shit. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, anyway. it's just, you know, yeah, it's just funny. Uh, but the fact that it just they blunder their way through the entire deal is just right. astonishing to me. Like Carpenter didn't even try to reel it in because you get something like Escape from New York, and that's a very tightly made movie from start to finish. And it's almost like here they just said, "Ah, fuck it. Let's just we'll just keep it loosey goosey and whatever." You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. And at the end, and we'll it, just it works. we'll do the whole jumpy, flippy sword fights, and we'll line all of the the structures with neon and it will it will be silly and it is silly yeah. and it's great yeah yeah so it's so just, yeah uh, it's a it's still kind of a unique uh little movie it's it's definitely got a an 80s nostalgia vibe going it's it's uh it's fun it's got good ideas it's got action it's got goofiness i i recommend it Check it out. I mean, it's it's definitely uh, it, it's not my favorite John Carpenter movie, Nobody's but it's definitely favorite. in, in the top five. You have to see it if you're a fan of the John Carpenter. Um, uh, uh, oh, God. What, uh, I can't think of his name now. Uh, the, 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 the mink? Kurt, the Russell. Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. This is the part three, you know, of yeah. The, yeah. their partnership. And, well, three of four, if you count Escape from L.A. But Nobody counts that. That doesn't exist. Does. Or, or the uh, that Elvis thing they did in the late seventies. Oh, yeah, that's right, Elvis. Yeah, yeah. But this is the one so. where it's like all that shit we've been doing for all these years. Now we're gonna make fun of it. You kind of have to see it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that uh, that Carpenter always does the music is funny to me as well. Because this one, when the the Coupe de Ville's, which is his band, comes in at the the end and is doing the theme song. Uh. <laughs> for the whole thing and it's just like it's so ludicrous it's almost like oh we need a theme song let's just uh get this down and it's like trouble yeah no it's it should not be singing any of that no no yeah but take us away take us away yeah well we're gonna let the coupe de villes take us away while i wrap up the show some great i mean we cancellation movie music (laughs) <laughs> yeah but the fact that you know um, we couldn't even scratch the surface on this thing it's literally if you've never seen it then go see it uh if you have seen it and it's been a while go see it just yeah. see it just see it see it see it it's amazing see it and then <laughs> it, uh it subscribe to it. our podcast and listen to it and if you do that you'll get another episode next week and then you can rate it and you can rate it on your podcast app of choice and then you can tell us about it on our social media feeds on twitter or x or whatever the hell we call it now uh we're at maghuge m-a-g-h-u-g-e if you go to our website maghuge.com you'll find the links to all our other socials including a link to email us at magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com and yeah uh tell us what you thought of big trouble in little china and we'll see you next week